As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. How many people would get the job of parent if they had to fill out an application for it? If you had to apply for the job of parent, would they give you the job? I'm Allie Wolf, an Emmy-winning journalist and mom. I love interviewing women and experts who inspire us to create fulfilling lives and careers while embracing the messy and beautiful reality of being a mom. This is the Mom's Calling Podcast. Welcome back to Mom's Calling, and this time, a dad's perspective. My guest is a father of five children. He also created a documentary film about parenting and like myself, he has a background in television and TV news, and he's now a podcaster. George Siegel worked as a weathercaster, newscaster, sportscaster, and feature reporter, aka he's done it all in markets from LA to San Francisco, Seattle, and Detroit. He now runs a video production company that produces commercials, infomercials, and he has a documentary film company called Move the World Films. He wrote, directed, and produced the film Licensed to Parent, which we get into in this episode. If that's not enough, he has a podcast. Tell me how to make it better. His show features real people working on real problems and solutions. In this episode, we discuss the truth about working in the TV news biz, the good, the bad, and the ugly, his documentary, and the podcasting business and content creation, and of course, parenting. George also interviewed me on this show. I've linked it down in the show notes. Enjoy this conversation. George, welcome to Mom's Calling, my first dad on Mom's Calling. It's really exciting to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me. That's an honor to be the first of anything. I'm, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. Five kids and you have a background in TV. So that's something we share in common. So I thought we could start there. I would love to hear about how your career started and the whole journey to getting to where you are today. Well, my career started when I got out of college. I graduated from UCLA a hundred years ago. And um, I just started sending out tapes and driving around trying to get jobs. And I, I drove into a station in Bakersfield, California. And I thought I was going there for a sports job. And, and they said, hey, our weather guy just quit the other day. Do you know anything about weather? And literally, I knew nothing about weather because I had dropped out of an atmospheric sciences class at UCLA because it was 500 people in it and it wasn't fun. And so I was doing the audition and I screwed up one of the cities, the name, I mispronounced it and the cameraman started cracking up. And so I just leaned out to the side and I said, well, why don't you just tell me how you say it? He told me and I kept going and that got me the job because I didn't get flustered and say, can I start over? And, um, you know, that's, you got to be live. You got to be able to think on your feet in the news business, even something as mindless as that. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I got that job. I was the weekday weather forecaster, the night side reporter, the weekend sports guy, and uh, just kind of worked my way up the the chain from there. You know, you're always sending out tapes, trying to get to a bigger market and uh, catch the the gold ring of the business, which is very difficult to do. Yeah. And you made it very far because I know when you're starting out, the dream is to make it to one of those top 10 cities and you did it to two of them, right? So three of what, them. Three of them. Okay. Four of them. Right now I'm counting them all up. Yeah. <laughs> you I did mean, them all. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's fun to, to get to that point. The stakes are higher when you do. And there's a lot of things I don't like about the business. The people that at home don't really know what goes on behind the scenes and what dictates mm. what they get to see and what their coverage is. And a lot of times how disingenuous the station is towards the community. And there's a lot of things that I, I didn't like about it. I do miss the money, but I don't miss the BS that came along with it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough business. I think that one of the things that people don't realize is that, you know, I remember people, they're like, oh, but when you get your hair and makeup done, tell your makeup artist this. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not how it works. At least for me, when I got to San Francisco, there was none of that. It was very unglamorous. You're sitting in a van, if you're a reporter, eating lunch on your lap, running into gas stations to use the bathroom. So I'm wondering if you have any little tidbits that you think people who watch the news would be surprised by from your experience. Well, a lot of it more is behind the scenes, the people who are pulling the strings to control it. The people that are in front of the camera, I've genuinely had good experiences with and I've liked because we all had something in common. We all had the same goals. And I think those people can be really genuine. They have to deal with not only being doing their live shots and being on camera, but then when they're out in the community, everybody knows who they are. So they're really on all the time. So you have to be nice to everybody. If you're at Mm -hmm. the supermarket and you snarl at somebody and they go, God, I saw the weather guy from channel four. What an ass. And that guy was just awful. That's all they'll talk about forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of celebrities that I've interviewed that were rude to me and I remember it my entire life. Me too. JLo snubbed me. And now I have a thing against (laughs) JLo. She was very rude. So I'm with you. You talked about some of the things that weren't so good about the business, the schedules are crazy. So what led you out? This sums up the business with this story. I'm in uh, San Antonio, Texas. I'm the main weather forecaster at the NBC station there. And the consultants came in town to meet with us. And they do this once or twice a year. And they tell you what you need to do and not do. And the consultant sat with me in a room and said, I don't really have much to say to you. You're one of the best weatherman I've seen in the country. I think you're doing great. Just keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. And two weeks later, I got fired. <laughs> wow. They just fired me. And not even, not even nicely. I mean, they had this template of we fire you. So we escort you out of the building and you, you know, it's our policy not to help you find another job. So there I was a father of three, in a bad marriage, out of a job, and my life was turned upside down. And it was made even worse by how insensitive the station was. So it was a real slap in the face. And, you know, my wife wanted me at the time, wanted me to continue to pursue jobs around the country, move someplace else. And I'd had enough of it. I just said, no, I I don't want to chase this dream anymore. So that ended that marriage. And I ended up starting my own production company, video production company, which a lot of us, you know, in TV, we have those skills. And so it was completely different because now you're behind the scenes. And I'm sure the freedom and flexibility, I mean, of course, there's more pressure because you don't have a salary coming in automatically, but having holidays and and being able to have your time back was probably very nice. 
Yeah, I mean, breaking news is exciting, but that could keep you at the station for two or three days when you're the weather guy, if there's a hurricane, if there's a flood. And before I got to a market where I was the main weather forecaster again, when I was in Detroit, when the weather was bad, I was the guy they sent outside to tell you not to go outside. And I don't like cold weather. And I'd be out there for 10 hours telling you not to go out. I had one news director that didn't want us to wear a hat because it looked bad on a live shot. <laughs> um, you know, just stupid stuff. It's like, it's like when they send the weather forecaster or those storm reporters down to the hurricane. My instinct is if we're really giving them advice, they should be going the other way, away from the hurricane. And right. then let's do a report with maybe a stationary camera there. Why do we have to have some dumb man or woman standing there with 100 mile an hour winds leaning over going, don't go out here. It's really dangerous. I just thought that was insane. So I didn't uh, didn't miss that aspect of the business at all. Yes. And that's what for people listening, you have probably seen that person on TV thinking, well, that poor person. I mean, I've been that person, too. So I do not miss that either. <laughs> no, and they do a great job. I mean, the Weather Channel folks are just amazing at the job yes. that they do. So I admire that. I just don't like being one of them. Yeah. You know, maybe we're a little jaded, you know, when you spend at least a decade in news, you get a little jaded, but there's a lot of really cool things about it. But yeah. then you went on to do some more amazing things. And, and I watched your film Licensed to Parent, and I'm so curious how that came about. Tell us a little bit about the background and the idea behind um, this documentary that you made. Well, I, I found it interesting as a father of five, every time we would go to the hospital, the only thing they care about when you're leaving is if the car seat is strapped in properly. That's it. They may hand you a pamphlet or two, but you're really on your own. So you take people that are going through life and you've had parents and you may have had good parents, you may have had bad parents, not you, but I'm talking about anybody listening, but it's not the same once you're the person in charge, once that's your baby. You know, even if mom or dad is there for the first few days, you're still home with this little life. And all of a sudden you're the one making the decisions and you're the one that has to do everything. And I was thinking, how many people would get the job of parent if they had to fill out an application for it? If you had to apply for the job of parent, would they give you the job? And I think there's a lot of people that would not get, they wouldn't be allowed to have children. And the cost of people being bad parents is crippling to society. If you raise a good kid, one of the statistics we got in the film is it's worth $1.4 million to society. But if you raise a bad kid, it costs society $2.8 million. That's amazing, the mm -hmm. responsibility. And now we're in a world where everybody thinks they have the rights to do what they want. I can do what I want with my kid. I can raise them any way I want. But you really can't think that way if you're in a society with other human beings. Because your little kid, if you lived on a compound out in the woods and he never ventured into town, go ahead, do what you want. You screw him up any way you want or her. But once that child goes into town and is around the other humans, you have a responsibility to have raised a decent human being. And I think we see that not happening as much as it should. We don't support parents enough. We don't realize, I'm sure you've been in a store with your child where she starts crying and you just feel that glare from other people in the store about, oh, you horrible mother letting that baby cry. How about just coming over and saying, can I help you? Is everything okay? Just a smile and acknowledgement that nothing is, it's not that big a deal. I used to get mad when kids were bad on airplanes. Now I just feel bad for the parents. Yeah. And so that's what made me want to make a film about it. Not so much that we could really have licenses for parents, although if we wanted to be extreme, that probably would be smart, but it'll never happen. And I, I don't advocate that, but we need to be better supports for parents and we need to be, make sure that 
everybody's doing a better job. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the really interesting things about it was the societal aspect in the big picture. Cause I think a lot of us think about parenting in a very selfish way. We think about what it's going to do to our lives and we want to be a good parent because we want our child to have a good future. But taking that societal approach, I think is very interesting. And also the fact that they say it takes a village. And now I think a lot of us don't have that village around us. But with that, I wanted to ask you, I mean, do you think that the problem stems from the beginning and that preparation for having a child and, you know, not just having the car seat, but also the education of, you know, what being a quote unquote good parent is? Or do you think it's, you know, the systems in place throughout a child? upbringing. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's really both. You know, yeah. a, a lot of it is cyclical. How your parents raised you tends to trickle into how you raise your children, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. I mean, the things I tell my kids, I now go, gosh, my dad used to tell me that or my mom <laughs> used to tell me that. And I think about that all the time. But also, I, I just don't think there's enough preparation. I think people should have to take parenting classes before they have a child. And it's not just the baby birthing class where you're sitting there with your spouse laughing about, oh, this, this, and this, because it never goes the way it does in that class. It never does. You know, my mm -hmm. uh, youngest daughter, we thought everything was going to be perfect. And then the cords wrapped around her neck and my wife's rushed, rushed in for an emergency C-section. They don't prepare you for that. They couldn't. Mm -hmm. But I still think classes in advance, letting you know, you know, I love the idea of the planner that you have, you know, maybe mm -hmm. people need to think about these things. They need to understand this is what's involved in this. And, you know, whether it's a man or woman and they also have a job and then juggling that with with work. You know, my mom was a speech therapist who gave up her career to be a full time mom. Well, you know, sometimes people roll their eyes and go full time mom. I think that's the toughest job in the world, whether it's full time mom or full time dad, because it can be mind numbing or it can be extremely important. It ranges in all the things you have to do to do that job. And it should be taken very seriously. And so I, I just think people need to have a better understanding of what they're getting into. And also you should have an understanding of what your parents really were like in raising you or what your grandparents were like. And how are you going to apply the good things and try to eliminate the bad things? Because the bad things tend to pop up again. And uh, you have to be aware of that. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. I think that also you you mentioned this planners that I made and in doing that, I was a first time parent and I just thought of the first, I wanted to survive the first month or the first six months. But I think going into it, it's so hard to think about, oh my gosh, how am I going to be as a parent after I survive the newborn phase? So I, I totally agree with what you said. And yeah, I'm wondering, you know, how do you think you become a good parent? Do you learn as you go? I mean, you have five kids, so I need, I need some wisdom from you because you, you have done it five times, which it's, I can't imagine. Well, I have an interesting, interesting perspective on it because three of them are older from a, a first marriage. And so now I get to have relationships with them as grownups and the, the relationship changes. You're still their parent, but you're really in a different position where if they don't want to tell you stuff, if they don't want your advice, it's really not your place to, to give it to them. The younger ones, it's, it's a tough job. And it's tougher, I guess, when you get a little older and have to do that again, because you're going, God, I'm too old for this. <laughs> because kids just challenge you at every turn. They have their own agenda. And it's a, it's a very difficult job. And sometimes I give myself an F grade as a parent, because it's very easy to blame the child for doing things. 
But if they're not getting the message, you're the CEO of that family, maybe you're not doing a good job. Maybe you're not presenting yourself properly to the child to get your message across. And I'm constantly asking people for advice. My son, when he was younger, my second youngest son now, had a kid they were playing and the kid, other kid hit him and had a really violent temper. And so I called the mom and I said, hey, you might want to know your son hit my son. And she just started yelling at me saying, how dare you accuse my son of hitting and blah, blah, blah. If the situation was reversed, my first response would be, is your son okay? I need to talk to my son and see what he did wrong. So parents need to be open to understanding your child's not perfect and you should be able to talk to other parents about it. It shouldn't be, well, my kid's perfect, your kid's a monster. It's, okay, how can we make this work? What might really be going on here? And, and parents have to be willing to put in the work and do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it can be so complicated. I think that we can think our kids are the angels and then the other kids are are not. And I think that's a good perspective to have. So how much did your life experience go into the film or help you create this film? Or how much did what you learned kind of seep into your parenting? Um, because I think it's such an interesting topic to explore professionally when this is something you also live day to day. Well, I think that what people take away when if they watch a film like that is, is, is you understand that the importance you have in your role as a parent, and how you have to take it seriously. And if you think that you're somebody that could just go along and the knowledge you had the day you had that child doesn't have to change over the next so many years, you're gonna have a problem because the world changes and you need to change your parenting style and change your, how you look at various situations. You also can't think, well, it's an 18 year job and then the kid's out gonna to go to college. That's your responsibility for life. You're kind of taking on a lifelong commitment there and how you deal with that does change over time, you may read a book, you may hear of an expert who says, well, you're not encouraging your child this way. Um, I had a woman on uh, my podcast who um, opened my eyes to things I was doing wrong as a parent. So I'm always willing, if, like I say, if another parent calls me up and says, hey, your kid is doing something, my first answer is tell me what he's doing and how can I help? What can I do to fix it? And I think parents have to be like that. You have to evolve in your job and not think you have it all figured out. And that's what I learned from the film is families come up with things that they never saw coming and <laughs> it's how you deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's so much about being a parent is kind of reteaching yourself some of these lessons for life. Okay, before we continue with the show, I wanna talk a little about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching, on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressure to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique, and what works for someone else doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward goals at a pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track. Personalized lessons help you gain confidence and practical knowledge. One-on-one -on -one coaching and a cognitive behavioral approach teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noom Weight users finish the program and more than 60% that engage with the program kept the weight off for a year or more. 
So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. That's noom, N-O-O-M.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. When you watch it, you get to think about your own life as a parent, or maybe you're going to be a parent one day, and it doesn't tell you what to think. Like You can make your own decisions. So that, that part of it, I really, really appreciated too. Well, thank you. And you know what? I don't know how you were when you were on television, but I was never happy with work that I did. I always thought I could do better. But I look at that film and then I look at my, my most recent one and I'm really proud of them. And that's rare for me because I'm always sitting there going, well, if I only done this or if I had only done that. So, you know, I think it's hopefully it stands up pretty well. And I, I appreciate the nice words. Yeah, definitely. Where can people find it if they want to watch it? It's on your website, right? It's on my website. If you go to Move the World Films, org And it's on there. There's a link to License to Parent and it's License, not Licensed with a D. Or if you went to LicensedToParentMovie.com, I have a website for that film as well. But I would love for people to check it out and then send me your thoughts when you, when you hear it. I mean, I think feedback on these things is so important. Like I say, I don't have all the answers. And if somebody completely disagrees, I would love to hear about it. That's good. You're open-minded about it. And then I want to get to the podcast because you also have a podcast, which we're going to do as well. We'll have mirrored episodes that are different, but how did the podcast come about? I think it's a very natural progression for somebody from TV to do podcasts, especially somebody who doesn't want to show their face all the time. So um, I'd love to hear your podcast story. Well, you know, I started it as a move. It was called the Move the World podcast. And I thought that was too broad. So I go, what, what's my number one thing? Tell us how to make it better. There's a problem. Let's fix it. I, I want to interview people every week that saw a problem. And rather than just sit around and complain about it, said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to try to improve this, whether it's through, you know, helping new moms or uh, people that are trying to help the environment. A lot of our subjects have been people that are very environmentally conscious and are trying to do things for climate change and global warming. And it's just, I like people that don't complain. And what we see a lot in the news business, I'm sure you remember this, there's always that nucleus of people that are just bitching every day about this and that. And, they, and, and that used to drive me nuts. Maybe in my early in my career, I was one of them. But as I got older, I started realizing, hey, I'm happy to have a job. This is, this is great. And I'm going to do my best to do a, a good job. But it, a lot of people don't want to fix problems. They just want to complain. And so my podcast, I call Tell Us How to Make It Better So We Can Fix Problems. Yeah, I think it's a great concept. And how have you found the podcast world? I know we're in a time when everybody is making a podcast and it's become, it's moved from becoming sort of a niche thing to a very mainstream. Everybody listens to them. So when did you start and what has that been like to kind of navigate this new medium? Well, I'm 25 episodes in the challenge is, as you say, everybody's doing it now. When I, I grew up in LA and everybody was an actor or everybody's a film producer, anybody with a phone is a videographer or a photographer. It's like professions get watered down. You and I have experience as so quote, you know, called professionals. And then we hear other people doing it. I've been a guest on some podcasts where I was going and they have large audiences. And I'm going, how are people listening to this? This is absolutely awful. So there's no rhyme or reason to success. And that can be frustrating. I went into this hoping for something big, but I enjoy doing it. I enjoy interviewing people. Uh, because of my production experience, it's easy to put them together. So it's not a, a wrestling match trying to get them done. And I've met a lot of really interesting people that hopefully I can help get the word out about what they do. And I think it's a great forum. Unfortunately, there's so many people doing it. 
that uh, especially COVID probably increased that dramatically mm-hmm. as, as well. It'd be nice if the field was thinned out and it does. Most people don't last very long doing it because they get frustrated. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. I think it's the discovery that is the challenge. It's if you have a hundred thousand Instagram followers, that's great. Personally, I don't, I'm not that big into social media, but I think that there's a low barrier to entry, right? So anybody can just make one on their phone or buy a microphone for 50 bucks off Amazon. But I do think it's a really powerful medium. And I I don't know about you, but I find that there's something about audio where you connect more. So like if I'm watching something on TV, typically you're sitting and watching, like I listen to podcasts when I'm putting laundry away. and, And I think that like that multitasking, but you're connecting with what you're listening. It's kind of a different craft for the ear. Do you find that? Or do you think about about that when you're making the podcast? Absolutely. My first love was always radio. And I, I do a video version just for promoting it, but I don't enjoy that one as much as the, uh, the straight audio one. But then, you know, the thing that drives me nuts is we can beat our heads against a wall doing this for weeks and months. And then Prince Harry and Meghan Markle get $25 million and they've done one podcast and who really cares what they have to say anyway. That kind of stuff drives me nuts. They throw that kind of money. I'd be happy if somebody threw $25 at me yeah. or $25 million. So there's no rhyme or reason. And, and that's the tough thing. And I don't know if you've ever had this with videos where I've made videos that I thought would be viral and, and, and bring a lot of attention and crickets, nothing. And then some overweight 11-year-old kid with acne lip syncs a song and people think it's funny. And the next day he's on the Today Show. You know, that's frustrating, right? Yeah. And this is something I think about a lot is that the competition for attention, people are on their phones more than ever, but there's so much out there and how to get what you're doing to be seen and to make it kind of break through. And I think that social media has made it easier, but also harder. Yeah, because a lot of those people can't handle the the, the spotlight comes on and what do they do with it? How are they able to turn that millions of followers. And, you know, my, my kids are into TikTok and I thumb through those videos and I'm going, my goodness, what, it, what are people getting from this? Nothing. How is that growing and doing something and advancing their minds? They could be out playing, doing other things. So I think viral kids are driven by that now. And so are we, we have to be in this business because if a million people listen to your podcast, you'd be able to monetize that incredibly. Mm-hmm. So we want that, but I think we want it in a better way. For you, as somebody who is really who specializes in content and production, how do you think about your content? I mean, because I think there's part entertainment and part value. Like if you just had a professor talking for an hour, you probably have a hard time keeping people engaged in it. So I'm wondering how you think about it, because I think it can be helpful for others who maybe want to do a podcast who don't have the professional background that you do. So that what you're saying and talking about has to have energy and be interesting. So you don't want to ask the guest good morning and then have them talk for 20 minutes. You want to have a dialogue where if they are a professor, that professor still has to have some interesting stories. And what I try to do is, is have the interview go in a way that highlights what they do and brings out the interesting, interesting points about it without shooting over the room so nobody understands it. So because it's an audio thing and people are, you know, it has to paint a picture. So it, the challenge is to find interesting guests. And as, as you know, also, if they have a large social media presence, it helps because they'll promote the episode, but that's not really the way you want to build an audience because then every week you're starting from scratch and it's dependent on your guests. 
It's sort of like you have to have a strategy, kind of a business strategy, but also the craft. And I think the craft is very important as well. But yes, it's something I think everybody is navigating. And it's I'm curious to see where this podcast inter- industry goes in five, 10 years. What is your goal with it all? What is next for you? And what what are you working towards? Are you going to focus more on podcast or films or just kind of keep doing it all? I'm looking for the next film. I have a couple ideas. But, you know, it's the challenge is getting the funding for them because podcasting, like I say, it's very challenging and it's challenging to monetize it. So it's worth your time. So you have to have the time to do it, but I enjoy it. So I'm hoping that it that it takes off. It would be great to to build a following of, uh, and, and get some really good stories. I think it could be a way to come up with another film, too, because some of the people I've talked to are pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time you talk to somebody, it's a new connection and new possibility. Okay. I want to turn a little bit more to parenting because I talk a lot about motherhood with a lot of my guests, but I want to talk to you about fatherhood and your perspective of moms. So I'm wondering, because most people who are going to listen to this are moms. What is your father perspective for on the early days of parenting? I mean, do you have advice for mothers? Because you have watched your wife and your previous wife go through it. So what are your thoughts as, as the father? I think you have to be on the same team. You have to be on the same page because if mom says one thing and dad says another, you're creating a power imbalance and uh, children see that and they take advantage of it. They, if dad says no, mom needs to know that no is probably the answer she has to deliver. And I had a very strong mom. My dad was working a lot. So he was gone. So you know, I, I was just raised by what I think is a great mom. So I look for those qualities and I like to see that from somebody that I'm married to. I think my, my wife is fantastic with the kids. She has energy to do stuff with them that, that I don't and, and probably patience to do stuff with them that I don't. But I think you have to be a united team. You have to approach it. You have to be able to talk about things as a couple. And, you know, the dad, if, if the dad's the one that's out of the house, he can't come in at the end of the day and try to rewrite the rules. It has to be Mom set the foundation here and you need to work with that. And sometimes the roles are reversed and it needs to be the same way. You know, a lot of times in my first marriage, I would come home and the house would be a mess and all these different things. And it would bug the hell out of me. We were nowhere near on the same team. We were as, as un, on the same team as you could be. And I think that's a, a problem. And kids see that and they know. I think that's great advice. And I love to ask my guests, your best and worst advice that you've received as a parent, or it can just be general advice. The worst advice is from people who aren't parents and they, they judge or they'll say things. If you have a sibling or somebody that doesn't have kids or a friend who doesn't have kids and they start telling you things you're doing wrong, that drives me nuts because they don't know. And that's just, that's stepping in something that until you're in there in that battle every day, you don't have any idea. You can read a book about parenting. It's not the same as being a parent. So that's the worst of it. The best is just to take a step back, breathe, understand what you're dealing with and knowing that it'll probably get better. And you can't let the highs get you too high and the lows get you too low. If you can parent in the middle, so you're not an emotional roller coaster, I think it'll, it'll show in your children. I love that advice. You have adult children and you also have younger children, but do you think it gets easier or do you think you just get better at it? I don't think it gets easier. I I think, like I said, when you get a little older and you have younger children, sometimes you appreciate things more and you try to spend more time with them, but you also have less 
time to spend on certain things. So I don't know. I think it's an evolving job. There's there's easy days and there's hard days. I, I'm more calm about the, the two younger ones because of what I've experienced with the three older ones. So I'm hoping that I've evolved into a, a, a better parent, but it, you know, you never know. You don't know till they get older and they say, wow, dad, I really appreciate everything that you did for me or all oh, those things you were telling me that I used to roll my eyes at now make a lot of sense. So I'm kind of on the other end of that. I get to see both sides of it. I, I know that the two younger ones sometimes could care less what I'm saying. You get the eye roll, you get the attitude, but you, you get to see that with the older ones that sometimes you made a difference. Yeah, that is, I'm sure it's gratifying. Okay, so now I have a question here from my previous guest. What's your biggest challenge if you're a parent, but also if just personally when it comes to screen time and what is your best strategy for handling it? It's very difficult. <laughs> it's such a big part of their lives. And when you take it away, they'll tell you they have no ability to communicate with their friends and everybody else has their phone and is on it all the time. And it's that being on an electronic device from the moment they wake up till the moment they go to bed, I think they miss a lot along the way that people will say, well, you went out and played because you didn't have those things. Yeah. And I think it makes a huge difference. If I'm interacting with you one-on-one, -on -one, it's not the same as you're, you're over at the house and we have three other girls on there and we're all doing... I mean, it's like nobody focuses on what they're doing. It's what else are we doing? And so I try to cut it back at times, try to take it away at a certain time every evening. I don't let them keep their phones in their room overnight because you know that it'll be going off like a, uh, like a drug dealer's pager. You know, you just don't, they don't need that. But it's tough. It's very difficult to take that away from them. And I think that's a sad statement on where we've gone with devices. I think they're all too electronically charged. I totally agree. It's so challenging. I've not gotten to that stage yet, but I am not looking forward to it at all. <laughs> you won't like it. It's not fun. <laughs> well, now I just want to leave a chance for you to tell everyone where to find you. I know you already mentioned where to find your film, but tell us about where to find your podcast. If you're on social media, all of the details. I'm everywhere. Tell us how to make it better com And they can go to that site. They can find my podcast. And if you go to movetheworldfilms.org, you can also see my documentary films. So that's the best way. I'm also tell us how to make it better is on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it, especially all of your parenting wisdom. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, I want to hear from you. Send me an email to momscallingpod at gmail.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review this podcast. See you next week for another episode of Mom's Calling on the Believe Network. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.